When trouble comes, what do you do? When conflict happens, how do you respond? Let's face it, turmoil is part of all our lives. Therefore, it is important that you learn how to argue well with others. And that is the title of the podcast. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. This is the podcast where I put my articles in an audio format so you can listen on the run. The title of the podcast and the article on the website, if you want to read it, is How to Argue Well with Others. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you for joining me. You can find me at rickthomas.net. And you probably know this already, but if you have a question that you would like to ask me, don't email Don't come through social media. We have a ton of email traffic, and we have to keep that open for the other side of our ministry. It's the business side, the administration side. There is so much going on. For the glory of God, it is a good thing. And then we have over 20 social media platforms and hundreds of thousands of folks that get our stuff. Well, we can't maintain that either. We are a small team that does a lot of work, kind of like five loaves and or two loaves or five loaves and a couple of fishes, however many there were. Uh, but God is feeding a lot of people with a little bit, and it is a stunning thing. But because of that, we have to have a singular way to respond to you, and and we've made that way possible. We have a free public forum for anybody on the globe. You can ask your question, and that would be fantastic. Whether it's about arguing or about something else, let us serve you. It would be our privilege. It's our joy. If you are a supporting member of our ministry Please know you are the ones that really make it happen. We couldn't feed all those people without you, so thank you for your generosity. We have a private forum for you, and you can go on it. Just hit the sub-forum that says talk directly to Rick and his team, and, and it will just be you and us and no one else, and you're welcome to use it. But either way, let us know how we can serve you with your questions. We would love to come alongside you in a cyber kind of way. Let's talk about arguing. Though it's possible to go a day, maybe a week without any conflict in your life, it is not possible to avoid all relational struggles. Disputing is everybody's regular recurring antagonist. Relationship tension is a promise from God, and only when Jesus returns will conflict go away. Now, we have three options here. Though it's always with us, conflict. That is, how we choose to respond to conflict is an option. Everybody reacts to disagreements one way or another. Let me tell you about my friend Biff. He's passive. Biff tries to avoid all conflict at all costs, which is a response. It is a response, but it's a passive response. He does this because he's afraid of conflict. The truth about Biff is that he is insecure, and it makes him nauseous to know that someone is displeased with him. Biff is a people-pleasing. He's a be-friendly-to-everyone kind of guy. That's his style. 
He tries to insulate himself from conflict. As much as he tries to bury his head in the sand, those who are around him become annoyed because he responds to conflict by ignoring, hiding, dismissing, or or putting a positive spin on things. His wife says, Biff is a wuss. Now, that's not what you should say about your spouse, but Mabel Mabel should know because she has lived with him for 31 years, and as you might surmise, the central conflict in his life is with his wife, who has a low-grade frustration because of Biff's passivity. Mabel does not mask her anger any longer. It is ironic that a guy who seeks to avoid conflict at all costs, he seems to find himself in battles often, especially with Mabel. A passive response to conflict is not wise or useful. You're not going to avoid it, so passivity will actually complicate your problems. But then on the other end of the spectrum, we have ranting Raph. He's very condescending when it comes to people pleasers like Biff. As Alexander Pope once said, fools rush in where angels dare to tread. That's Ralph. His approach has a sandpaper quality to it. Here's Ralph talking. I just speak the truth. That's what Jesus would do. The truth is the truth. It's not my fault if they can't handle it. No need to pussyfoot around. That's my motto. Well, I agree with Ralph that Jesus was the ultimate truth teller. Jesus was mature, wise, discerning. He was compassionate, patient, and forgiving. I could go on talking about Christ, but you get the idea. He knew how to relate to others biblically. Ralph does not. He's narrow-minded in how he thinks about truth-telling. Biff and Ralph do want good outcomes in their relationships, and that's true. The problem is that their methods lack sound judgment. Biff wants peace, and Ralph wants to communicate truth. What's wrong with that? Well, as Ralph said, what's wrong with that? And I commend both of them for their excellent desires. What both of them do not understand is how the doctrine of sin intersects relationships and how The gospel brings redemption or should bring redemption to those relationships. And if you do not factor the gospel and the doctrine of sin as they intersect, if you don't factor those two things into how you think about yourself and others, it won't take long before you're in one of Biff's or Ralph's ditches. On the one side is passivity and insecurity, and on the other is the ditch of unkindness and uncharitable judging. When a person sins against you, how do you handle it? How do you respond? How does the gospel bring redemption to your conflict? Are you tempted to take Biff's approach of passivity? Are you tempted to take Ralph's tactic that exacerbates turmoil? What about an approach that cherishes and implements the point and the purpose and the power 
of the gospel. To no one's surprise, God does have an answer for relational conflict. Let's talk about the point of the gospel. The reason Christ came was to resolve our conflicts. There was enmity between God and us. There was strife between us. Conflict. We were broken and separated from God and each other. The gospel solution was not a path of passivity. And it was not a path of harshness. The gospel is a path of redemption. Though Jesus was in the form of God, he took on the form of a servant to rescue us from ourselves. This kind of humble obedience is what God is calling us to do. If we humble ourselves the way the Savior did, he will defeat the sin in our lives and redeem our relationships. Passivity or harshness is not serving others. Those responses do not help, but divide. Biff and Ralph are choosing unkindness. You actively love others, or you actively unlove. Those are your two categories. They are actively unloving one through passivity and the other through harshness. The gospel is the power of God. You know that from Romans 1.16, which means the gospel is transformative. The gospel, which is Christ, the good news, can change your life. It is our job as Christians to spread the transformative gospel near and far, praying that God would be pleased to transform lives. What better place to see the power of the gospel unleashed than in the life of a spouse or a close friend? If your spouse rubs you the wrong way, you have the privilege and the opportunity to activate the gospel into their lives. If you have a conflict, you can choose to open the gospel can and let it do its thing. Don't hide the gospel in the ditch of shyness and passivity. Don't rely on your strength by using anger or other manipulative means to change people. It may change them, but not in the way you hope. Choose to be humbly courageous by submitting yourself to the power of the gospel. Let it redeem its way rather than your way. I want to share with you a God-centered template that I hope would benefit you for arguing well. That's the title of the podcast and the article. And again, you can read this entire article at rickthomas.net, how to argue well with others. I would encourage you, implore you to use this within your family Within a small group of friends, it would be a fantastic conversation. Lucia and I married many years ago, and as you should rightly assume, we both have angered, frustrated, and annoyed each other more times than we can count, and we don't count, by the way. We don't keep a record of wrongs. The doctrine of sin has been alive and well in our lives. That's what I'm saying. We have resorted to many different sinful means to hurt each other, 
to make our points, to posture for superiority, to mask our fears, and to maintain our preferred self-righteous positions. After we married, we began to realize there was a problem in how we handled conflict. Imagine that. We were selfish. Surprise. As we demanded our ways, after many arguments and through a lot of frustration, we began to grow in our understanding of what it meant to live out the life of Christ or to live a gospel-centered life. Part of this process meant that we needed to learn how to argue well and work through conflict. In time, God gave us a gospel-centered template for conflict resolution. And I want to share that template in, in 10 steps for you. It's not something that we have to think about any longer. Thankfully, we can be habitualized in a good way. Today is what we have learned to do, and by the grace of God, this is what we normally do. When sin is in play, we eventually reorient our minds and lives around the gospel, and it usually goes like this. Here are the 10 steps. This is a 10-step gospel-centered template to help you argue well. Number one, I was angry with you. I do something unkind, dumb, sinful, or just me being me. I do have a level of thickness that sometimes tempts Lucia to sin. We like to use the metaphor of the American bison or buffalo, which means I can be thick-headed. Sometimes she calls me a buffalo, and, and it's true. I call myself that, by the way. At some point during any given day, Lucia will come to me and say that she's angry with me. That has happened quite a few times. The provocation for this is because I did something dumb or sinful. My action tempted her to sin. Now, what I'm saying here is an important point. I don't want you to miss this. The probability of your conflict ending well is, is low if you miss this point. This point sets your trajectory how you began your conflict resolution will determine how you complete it, or it may be ongoing if you don't start correctly. And so it's important that how you began conflict resolution will determine how you will end conflict resolution. Now, yes, I sin first. I did hear that. I did say that. It's not lost on me. I'm aware of this. And we're going to deal with my sin later, but I'm coming at this from a counterintuitive way, and it happens often in our marriage, and I hope that your marriage is mature enough to where you can do this too. Of course, Lucia coming to me because of my sin and asking for forgiveness because of how she responded to my sin, it speaks volumes to her humility. Though my sin initiated the problem Lucia sinned in response to mine. Though I was oblivious to what I did, she was stewing. At this point, she has three options. She could take passive Bill's approach and bury it in her heart, thinking it will be out of her mind, a process that never works. Eventually, she would turn into a critical, cynical, and bitter woman. She could blow up. And let me have it, 
like ranting Ralph, which also will not work. If she does this, there will be no reconciliation in our marriage. In fact, her response will push me further away from her. And then thirdly, she could humble herself by recognizing her sin. Matthew 7, the log in my eye. If she does this, she will experience the grace of God that he activates in humble hearts, according to James 4, 6. Don't think that you can fake out God. If you push play on points one and two, or two, passive Biff or ranting Ralph, you will activate the opposition of God in your life as well as invite division into your relationship. No matter how justified you are, God will not bless if you do not humble yourself even when someone sins against you. Point number one, I was angry with you. Point number two, God has forgiven me. By the time Lucia comes to me, she has already done business with God. She has humbled herself before the mighty hand of the Lord, and he did what the Lord said he would do. In 1 John 1, 9, he forgave her. Now, with God's power and grace propelling her, she can come to me and confess her sin to me. It's a twofer. She sinned against God and me. The sphere of confession and the sphere of the offense should be the same. You confess your sins to those you hurt. And so point number one, I was angry with you. I sinned, but Lucia sinned back. Number two, God has forgiven me. Lucia comes and asks for forgiveness. Number three, well, number three, will you forgive me? She lets me know that she was angry with me and she wants my forgiveness and will not be satisfied until I forgive her. Let me say it again. Yes, 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 I sinned first. I have not forgotten this, as I'm sure you have not either. My sin is still alive, active, and real. Do not miss this fundamental point. You should never deal with another person's sin when there is sin in your heart, even if they sin first. If you do this, if you take this approach, it probably will not go well with you. Lucia's chief desire is to make sure her heart is right with God. So point number three, she asks, will you forgive me? Number four, yes, I forgive you. And thus I did. I forgave her. Done. My wife experiences forgiveness from God in me and she can live in the freedom and power of this forgiveness. Her sin has been neutralized, killed, removed. Her offense is now a non-issue. Because she has adequately dealt with the log in her eyes, she can move to the next order of business, taking care of that speck in my eye. Lucia is impressive to me. My humble wife is a humble servant. She is she is a help, a means of grace to this thick-headed buffalo. Point number four, yes, I forgive you, baby. Number five, what did I do? At this point, it now becomes evident that I have done something wrong. Think buffalo here, being unaware. You may be surprised to know how many times I have sinned against my wife and did not realize the depth or the severity of my actions. 
because she comes them to me the way she does, I am not tempted to focus on her anger, her sin, or any other of her actions. The reason for this is because there is no sin from her. She has God's forgiveness. It's my time now. Point number five, what did I do? Point number six, we talk about it. We can now talk about what I did to her and how I hurt her. We can talk about how she processed what I did and how I could have responded better. Here is another crucial point. Because God neutralized the sin, it's like a regular non-emotional conversation. It's not a big deal because the offense does not control our thoughts or our emotions. Once the power of the gospel kills a sin, it should not be a problem to enter into a discussion about what went wrong. The gospel frees us from the temptation to protect ourselves or to defend ourselves. So point number six, we talk about it. So let's go back and see what has happened here. Number one, I was angry. Rick was angry with Lucia, and Lucia sinned in response to that. Number two, God has forgiven her. Number three, she asked me to forgive her. Number four, I grant forgiveness to her. Number five, I asked, well, what did I do anyway? I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to mature. I want to change. Number six, we talk about it. She shares with me what I did. She shares in a humble way because she has been forgiven. Number seven, I, I ask, will you forgive me? The more we humbly talk, the more I understand what I did, which is essential to me. We must discuss what I did. I want to change. I want to grow in Christ, too. I don't want her to be the only one maturing in Christ in this marriage. What's up with that? I don't want to continue to sin against my wife. How wrong is that? I don't want to hurt her anymore. I praise God that she's not passive when it comes to helping me in my sanctification, like Biff. And I thank God she does not bludgeon me with harsh tones, a cynical spirit, or condescending speech like Ralph. Because of her ever-present awareness that she put Christ on the cross, the good Lord governs her temptations to be self-righteous. Her humility is a means of grace that frees me from the temptation to take a defensive posture. Therefore, point number seven, I ask her to forgive me. Number eight, yes, I forgive you. At this point, she forgives me. She releases me from the bondage of my sin through the power of forgiveness. And of course, I ask God to forgive me too first, and he forgives me. Her actions are amazing grace. No people group on earth possess what Christians possess. We are a forgiven people who continue to experience forgiveness, and we can also forgive others. So number eight, she says, yes, I forgive you. And number nine, let's talk about it. Now that God has neutralized my sin by the power of the gospel, we can enter into a full discussion about all the elements of what we did. We can best serve each other so we don't do it again. I have an article embedded in this one. I would love for you to read it. It is called, it's about a double confession. The title of the article, the link here says, The, ne- 
the necessity of a double confession. And that's that is what I'm walking through here. I just finished a conference in Idaho a few days ago. And one of the questions that was asked me, which I thought was really insightful, is what about when you sin against someone and, and they sin against you in response? Well, that's what I'm dealing with here in this article. Now we can talk about it. We both sinned. I sinned first, but I was last to confess. Lucia was harboring resentment and sinful anger toward me, and she came to me and asked me to forgive her after she asked the Lord to forgive her, and I, I did. And then I realized, uh-oh, I, I've done something wrong here. I, I, there needs to be a double confession, and so I confess my sin to her, and, and then we talk about it. Our offenses, the elements of what we have done, we can enter into a full discussion of those elements because it has been neutralized by the power of the gospel. We can best serve each other so we don't do it again. So we want to talk about it, point number nine. Our offenses are like talking about mowing the lawn or running an errand or some other non-controlling discussion. It's a discussion. That's all, except it's restorative. The power of the gospel has trumped the strength of the offense, and God has removed the thing that was between us. She is not stewing, and I am not oblivious. We both have matured in Christ. Let's talk about it. Point number nine. Number 10, our relationship is strengthened. Two forgiven sinners can embrace, hug, and kiss, and we do. There is no stain left on our relationship and no future accumulative negative impact. She learns more about the gospel and grace. She is encouraged to approach me more often. I learn more about her. I learn more about myself. We both learn from God and experience mutual edification by his spirit. One, we sinned. Two, we forgave. Three, we learned. Four, we loved. And five, we matured. Now, perhaps you're in a relationship where the other person is unwilling to walk in line with the gospel as I have been laying out here. I I know that is true, and I don't want you to think that I would write this article or do this podcast and not add this addendum to this 10-step process because everybody is not going to do this, and it could be that most do not do this, so I don't want to leave you hanging, or I don't want you to think that I believe that every person who reads this has uh, all the individuals in their lives are mature enough and humble enough to own their sin. It's simply not true. I have a couple of those people in my life, too. And so you're right to assume that it takes two to do what I have outlined. You're right to expect that everyone will not humble themselves before the the empowering grace that allows you to live out the gospel this way. In such cases, here is the same advice that I give myself. It's from Romans 12. It goes like this, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be conceited, repay no one evil for evil, but 
give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, that's a big one, if possible, Paul said, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all as much as it depends on you. That's Romans 12, 14 through 18. There is nothing that should hinder the gospel in your life, regardless of what others do. Minimally, you can confess your sin to God, even if you can't confess it to the other person because the other person is a royal jerk, a big-time buffalo. You, you, may, you may be able to do more than that, but nothing should keep you from going to your heavenly Father, minimally, seeking his forgiveness and appropriating his grace. If you do this, you will be able to live out an attitude of forgiveness toward those who are currently unwilling to change. Who knows? Maybe God will use your humility as a means to bring change in their lives. So please understand, I understand that everybody is not going to do this equally. It reminds me of Matthew 18 21 and 22, it goes like this. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him. I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. The title of the podcast is How to Argue Well. You can read this article, this podcast, and three other articles that are linked here if you go to the website, get it, read it. If you have a question, let me know what it is. Go on our public forums, and it is our joy to serve you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.